I'm Jill Shaw, and I'm here with Ross Wilson with an update on what happened last night at school committee. Hi, Ross. Hey, Jill. How are you? I'm I'm well. I'm here in my house. Where are you? Uh, still still in my house, same place uh, <laughs> as I was and as you were a couple weeks ago in the last last taping. Yeah, nothing um, new in that regard. That's right. Well, Jill, last night at school committee again was hosted on Zoom. Um, this one was a little longer than than the last one, so yeah, still a great great uh, school committee meeting with um, uh, using Zoom and and we had about uh, a large number of people on public comments. And the meeting lasted about four hours and thirty minutes. Um, sure did. Pretty, yeah, there were some <laughs> pretty hefty topics uh, discussed last night, uh, including the final strategic plan and and a bit on, on the operating plan that, uh, mm -hmm. that aligns to the strategic plan. Um, there was some discussion around COVID-19, um, the DESE review of, of Boston Public Schools, and a lot of discussion around the student privacy policy that was recommended last night. Yeah, that's right. So there's a lot to cover today. Um, just a caveat here, it's currently two o'clock in the afternoon, and this may change by the time we're done taping, but unfortunately, for the first time since we've begun taping last night at school committee, BPS has yet to post the video from the meeting last night. So we apologize to our listeners. Um, we are going to try to present the context for each um, comment that was made by school committee members. Um, we do not have the benefit of the actual comments from school committee members. Um, so Ross, I think maybe let's get started with the superintendent's opening comment. Yeah, so the, the superintendent um, gave an gave an update on the context for for um, what's been happening since the last two weeks we've met or uh, we talked at uh, about school committee. Um, so, as as many of the listeners know, um, uh, twenty eight thousand Chromebooks have gone out to students. There's been a tremendous response of getting technology into the hands of students. Um, BPS has also um, served thousands of meals with partners, um, the YMCA and, and community centers, uh, to ensure that families are, are being fed. Uh, BPS also um, has started to do more and more door-to-door -door food transportation. So they're using uh, school buses to bring food um, around to families who are homebound. Um, and um, there was still a lot of discussion about um, what, uh, you know, how, how much our students learning and how is technology being used. Um, a big part of this uh, is related to the fact that the Boston Teachers Union um, still does not have an agreement with the district on what should be happening and what is the expectation for what teachers should be doing in teaching students every day. Um, there's still a huge amount of variety happening around the district, school by school, uh, around engaging students in online learning. So what are teachers required to do right now? Um, I know that there is is quite a bit of discrepancy from school to school. Is there is there any kind of baseline set of responsibilities? There's not. There's not. There's there's um, every week uh, the the academic office and BPS releases um, or updates their Google Classroom and 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 the resources that go out to families. Um, and now these are just available for families to be using with their with their children, um, but there is no set standard for what teachers should be doing or engaging with families. That being said, Jill, so many teachers are going far above and beyond what you could imagine. I mean, we we have uh, teachers across the district checking in with students daily. We have teachers leading small group work, whole group work, 
um, every day and, and providing really rich curriculum um, and, 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 and doing great collaboration. So it's not as if like nobody's doing anything, it's a, but, it, but there is no clear expectation, as you asked, around what is the standard, what should we be expecting um, from, for, for all students in the system. And, and given this kind of hit, everyone around the same time across the day, is there true in other districts as well and um, and across our state? What What is a realistic time frame to expect that the district has an agreement in place with the teachers union? Um, well, so, some major cities have begun to or have, have already have agreements with their unions. Um, the, uh, the the latest one, I believe, was uh, Los Angeles Unified School District has a has an agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, look, the longer this goes on, we're we're over a month into this crisis without being in school. Um, we we need to and and the real likelihood that that we may not be going back to school this year. Um, we have to have a really good plan in place should the governor announce that school doesn't reopen. Um, and so I would encourage the district and the union, you know, like, let's get an agreement ASAP and have a plan in place for what should be happening over uh, the rest of the school year, should school not resume, and then what needs to be happening over the summer to address some of this learning loss or a lot of this learning loss that's been occurring. All right. Were there any comments that you thought came out particularly during the superintendent's um, initial comments? Um no, I mean, I, I would just say, like, I, I think the district has has um, responded very quickly to the basic needs of of the families it serves. Um, so, food has gone out, technology has gone out. There's been support around hotspots. A general uh, curricular resources have gone out to families, um, and um, there's still a lot of work to do uh, around how to serve serve all kids well, especially those with learning disabilities or who are have special education needs. Um, or who are English language learners or who need counseling or additional support. Uh, all These are all things that need to be figured out still. Um, so there's a, there's a lot left to get in place for our students. Right. That makes sense. So then the meeting moved along into public comments, and there were over 30 in total, we think. Um, there was a wide range of topics uh, discussed. Ross, which comments stood out to you particularly here? Well, by and far, the the the, um, the comments were really centered on um, this, the policy that BPF uh, put put forward later in the meeting, which around uh, uh, sharing of information uh, related to undocumented students. Um, so this is essentially related to if a student, uh, if there is an incident with a student, um, the school police officer or the school may report that up to the school to the um, Boston police. And, and essentially, the Boston police could use that information, report it to, to ICE or others, and, and the undocumented student may be um, – there may be t- action taken against the undocumented student. Um, so there's a, there's, uh, there's a privacy policy, um, which we can discuss later uh, on this podcast. Um, there was a lot of concern about what BPS was putting out because essentially there was, a, there was an early draft of this created by the Boston Teachers Union, uh, a group of uh, teachers called Unafraid Educators. And, and groups of students who came together and said, we need to really make sure that we're not releasing information about students that should not, that should be going, should not be going to the Boston police. So there was a, a huge amount of concern about this policy um, and a lot of, um, a lot of students and, and, and teachers were commenting on this. 
Um, we also heard from a parent from the Hernandez School um, about uh, what's going on there. I mean, he, he, he really talked a lot about how the school is supporting um, all the families that are, that are members of the school, that um, they're working hard on, on learning opportunities. Um, they really want to talk more about summer resources. Um, and this parent actually said something very interesting. He said, um, you know, there's, there are a number of families who are concerned when they go to food sites that they're greeted by police officers or mm. uniformed, um, uniformed personnel. And his recommendation was, what, if we need people to help with cr crowd control or safety, um, let's put them in, uh, in, in, um, uh, in, in regular clothes. Like, why do they have to wear uniforms? Why do they have to sort of scare people away? Um, so that was interesting. I've experienced that when I've gone to food sites where you, at any BPS school site, um, food site has, typically has uniformed uh, school police officers there. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a real question that, that could that could frighten people away from from wanting to access food. You, you've uh, been to both, right? You you went to both um, BPS sites and to YMC, YMCA um, sites, and you've noticed that there's a different vibe at each one. Is that right? Uh, it's a completely different vibe. Um, the the YMCA sites are staffed by YMCA personnel solely. Um, they hand out food. They're very nice, very friendly. Um, the BPS sites also very friendly people staffed by volunteers. Um, and the major difference is you, you'll also be greeted by about four uniformed officers. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it just feels a little different on each of these uh, YMCA sites versus BPS sites. Right. Um, um, and also, it's probably the same amount of people that go to each site. If not, more people go to YMCA sites than BPS sites. So it's it's not really clear why what the need is to have uh, uniform uniform personnel at those sites. If the um, Y is executing just fine without them, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then we heard we heard from one teacher um, who said, "Why are we taking an April vacation?" Um, I, I think that's a really important point. I mean, it, we're all in our homes. Uh, we're just many of our students are just getting started in a routine of, of distance learning or online learning. Um, and next week is a vacation week for the school system. Many right. schools around, around the Boston Public Schools are choosing to not treat this as a holiday, but to continue or vacation, but continue online learning um, that they've just gotten started. Um, and, and here we are in BPS. Um, we're taking a vacation from being home. Um, so are you so saying it, other schools around the state are, have decided not to take vacations or other schools within the district have, have decided? Sorry, not to? Other schools around the state have around decided state. not yeah. to take an, uh, an, an April vacation. I've said, look, look, this is unprecedented times. Um, there's no need for a vacation. We're just getting going and getting kids in a routine. As we know, the most important thing we can provide um, students and, and adults at this time is a, is a routine, is a stable um, yeah. sort of a, a, a daily daily routine, a daily day of what we do uh, and how we engage. Um, and we're just getting that started in Boston. And, and, and next week, um, next week we're on vacation. It's very unfortunate. Oh, right. Um, it, and, and, um, and then lastly, there, there was a few comments about the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education um, memorandum, memorandum of Understanding with the uh, Boston Public Schools, and mm -hmm. we'll get in. We'll get into this, uh, Jill, during um, our discussion around the superintendent's presentation of of her strategic plan. Yeah, exactly. So if we move on, then the meeting moved to next to the superintendent's presentation of both the strategic plan and the operating plan. There was this, a significant amount of time spent here. Ross, um, what were the highlights uh, coming out of that plan for you? 
Yeah, I mean, so so um, reading the plan over, and, and and again, this will be we'll link this to to this podcast. Um, it, it appears to be the exact same content um, that has been presented in the previous few meetings on the strategic plan. So we've discussed the tr- strategic plan a number of times. There's there's six commitments and priorities within within those commitments and goals in, inside of those. Um, and th- this was a, pretty much the exact same content as we've seen before. Um, it was in a much nicer format, uh, mm-hmm. a much prettier format. Um, there, um, you know, there was there was there's some discussion um, around the operating plan, although really was not dug into much at the, at the meeting. Um, but the superintendent did present uh, the operating plan, which had a lot more detail and dates um, in that plan. Yeah. Although, again, we really did not dig into it. Um, and then, well, we'll I think we'll that in. by the time she got to the operating plan, it was pretty late into the evening. And um, it just seemed like on the video, everyone was exhausted. And I think, you know, it's kind of just a larger point, too, about online learning that it just it's so different than um, learning in school and being physically present with one another. And so you could tell everyone was exhausted by the time they got to the breaking down the operating pieces of of this plan. Um, And I agree with you. It looks a lot like everything that we've reviewed on this podcast before. There was an insert um, on COVID-19 in in the early parts of that presentation. Right. And so this sort of this slide um, sort of talks about how COVID-19 has has pointed out the the inequities in in our system um, as they've as they have been um, and that the strategic plan has always been designed to address these inequities. So there wouldn't be need to be any change in the strategic plan based on COVID-19. You know, this raised a question. Um, for me, which is, you know, we, we've never experienced um, this interruption of learning before historically. Um, right. And I think the impact is, uh, we, we won't understand the impact of this until we begin to assess learning loss here amongst our students. Um, but this, this may lead to uh, an ever widening achievement gap that, that we have to think about addressing in, in ways that we've never thought of before. Well, I, I, you know, for me, it was mind blowing to hear that statement that we've already thought about this and it doesn't change anything. Um, and that all of these things have already been considered in the plan. And I agree that, uh, racial and economic inequities have been considered and our solutions for those or an approach to those, um, is, is laid out in the plan, but the, all of the other impacts of COVID-19 and, you know, the, biggest one being loss, um, learning loss, which has, is being written about and talked about so widely in education circles, how we don't think that there is going to be dramatic impact on the budget is beyond me. Well, so, so, so right. I mean, you have impact on the budget. So how do we, how do we think differently now that we've experienced this crisis and are experiencing this crisis? And this should change the way we all think about education and how we respond to our students' needs. Um, but also, you know, Mr. O'Neill asked a question on on the budget itself, on, on sort of like, well, how will this impact the $100 million investment that the mm. superintendent um, discussed last night? And and um, the response was it, 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 it shouldn't have an impact. Um, this is the $100 the budget, million dollars incremental to the budget um, that the mayor has promised allocated over three years to the city. 
Right. And so but what we do know is happening right now as people discuss this crisis is that um, city governments, um, local governments will be impacted dramatically in their budget in their budgets for next year. Right. Um, the tax base has gone down. Businesses are closed. Um, the legislature has gone back to relook at the state budget and almost start over because they're predicting billions of lo- dollars in loss. Right. Um, so I'm not sure how we as a school system in Boston can just proceed as if there is everything's going to be the same and we're all these investments are going to be the same um, and nothing is going to change as a result of this. It's, it's just very confusing to me. Yeah, I'm so curious too. Just listening to what other schools are discussing, um, there, I mean, there's a lot of schools that are talking about taking, and school districts talking about taking advantage of the summer um, in order to try to intervene on some of this loss of learning that's happening right now. Um, and obviously, it's it's very representative of of this um, equity gap that exists already. Um, but I'm I was surprised that there was. Um, we didn't hear more of a nod towards that may be a part of the solution because th- that's going to impact budget numbers as well, I would imagine. Right. So we, have, we have two issues. We have we have uh, really a lack of discussion around any additional investments that should be made to respond to this crisis. And, and I think we have a lack of understanding of the current reality that funds are may not be available to do all the things that are laid out um, in this year's budget and in the strategic plan. Yeah. So then as the um, superintendent's presentation moved along, she talked about, I think for the first time at a school committee meeting, the uh, details of the DESE Memorandum of Understanding. Um, so the it's she mentioned that it was linked to the strategic plan. Could you kind of summarize for us, you know, what you how you heard what she was saying about um the memorandum of understanding, and I know that it's still being negotiated. Right. So the superintendent, um, and we, and again, we could post the MOU and and the DESE report to to this podcast, so if folks have a, a ability to read those. Yep. Um, the superintendent did a did a bit of a, a cross check between the um, the DESE memorandum of understanding and the strategic plan, and and essentially said, well. Pretty much everything that was laid out in the, in the MOU is already in the strategic plan, um, and that that in fact these these things were noted in the DESE report on BPS mm. and were drawn out into an MOU because they were already in her strategic plan. Um, so that you know some of these things include um, working on on partnerships fixing transportation, working on facilities, um, ensuring for inclusive practices of students with disabilities, Mm -hmm. um, and then focusing efforts on the lowest 33 schools uh, in the bottom 10% of the state. Um, And the superintendent was very confident that these things were already planned for, they're already happening, they already were in the strategic plan, and they'll continue um, with, and, and, and she was welcoming the support of um, of DESE in partnering to help make those things happen. The um, and one aspect that the superintendent um, noted that was not in the um, from the MOU that was not in the, the strategic plan was a group of schools, um, 
you know, from East Boston and Charlestown that about 15 schools that were named uh, as kaleidoscope schools or part of the kaleidoscope network. Um, and mm-hmm. this is a network of schools that um, are going to engage in professional development around deeper learning. So what does deeper learning actually mean? Right. So, so some some would say that it, it could you can call it project based learning or um, expeditionary learning or, or, or other ways that we we move away from rote education. So, you know, if you can imagine, it's um, basic multiplication facts or uh, you know mathematical concepts to more application of those to real life problems. So, it's more of a thematic way of learning. It's a way of engaging students' minds deeper and more critically into the learning. Um, and it's a, it's a way that teachers could develop curriculum together more, more in sort of groups and across a school um, of engaging students across themes in, in deeper learning, which is mm. it's very exciting. I was going to say, this could be a great thing then for, to uh, be bringing 15 BPS schools into, into the fold there. Right. There's already two schools in this network. Um, the network's been around for, for about a year. Um, still, you know, we haven't seen any implementation of their work yet, uh, but we've seen some of their planning documents, um, and it looks it looks quite good. So yeah. we'll we'll have to pay attention to what's happening um, with this MOU and and with this group of schools engaged in this new type of adult learning and student learning. That makes sense. Um, a couple of other th- points that were on the, her slide uh, said that DESE, as part of this new partnership, would help broker partnerships for schools that do not have strong partners. Uh, and we know that there's definitely disparity um, between uh, schools and, and how much support they receive from the outside. What what could it look like to have um, DESE collaborating with Boston Public Schools here? Well, it, it sounds like Desi is willing to help with a number of things. So, yes, partnerships w- was mentioned about how to how to bring partnerships essentially um, to all schools across the district and have equity across partnerships. Um, there was also discussion about Desi supporting the district and retaining um, more diverse and effective educator workforce through um, some work that they they could bring around home buying incentives and and potentially some signing bonuses to attract more uh, educators, um, diverse educators into the school system. Um, Do you think those would be strong incentives having been, uh, having overseen human resources and recruiting at at one point in your career? Would those be strong incentives to attract um, a diverse educator workforce? Of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, we we have some really strong pipelines um, in Boston currently, from high school students and paraprofessionals, and all the way up through the system to to basically harness um, uh, all the talent we have in our city and trying to get them to work in BPS. And and, and then in order to attract more educators from outside of Boston, um, it is important to have these incentives um, because the cost of living in Boston is so is so high. Um, so yes, yeah, certainly having home buying incentives and signing bonuses can be very helpful in um, recruiting and retaining a diverse workforce. And then it sounded like um, in terms of uh, the facilities that DESE is also offered to provide some employees of DESE to work on, work with BPS on upgrading facilities such as the bathrooms. So it sounds like there, this is still a work in progress. It's still a couple of months out for the agreement to be solidified, but that there's been some strong progress made in defining the, their expectations for um, 
BPS and the support that they're willing to offer around um, moving things forward and, and in particular overseeing this group of um, 15 schools. Yes, I have to say that, that this, this seems like a very collaborative approach to addressing some, um, some areas of concern that have been around for a long time in the Boston Public Schools. Um, and as the superintendent said, it, these are the, the MOU is not necessarily outlining new things. Um, it is essentially collectively, you know, working with DESE and BPS to try to fix the things that have been um, that have needed to be fixed. Uh, and and it could be a collaborative, helpful effort. Right. Right. So so then the school committee moved on um, to discuss the Student Opportunity Act plan. Um, the, the biggest piece of this, I think, is is whether or not the district will receive funding from the state around the Student Opportunity Act, um, which was implemented what several years ago. Um, and I heard some committee members express worry that money may not be there for this this year. Do you have any point of view on that? Right. So, so this is going to be the first year of the Student Opportunity Act, which was going to infuse um, more funds into into schools across the state. Um, mm-hmm. And if you remember, like this, you know, many gateway cities were getting really a, a tremendous amount of resources um, because the funding formula, as many have said, has been broken for a couple of years or a number of years in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Student Opportunity Act uh, provides um, for, for Boston would provide, you know, just one point eight million dollars next year. Um, it, it's not a huge amount of money for Boston, and, and it will grow over time. Um, now, the but there also has to be a major major concern here because the, the the legislature has gone back to look at their budget again, and it's not clear if the Student Opportunity Act will actually be um, implemented, and if there will right. be additional funds. Again, this crisis um, will impact our budget in ways that we 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 may not currently understand. Um, but knowing the legislature has gone back, they're going to redo the budget. It, it, it's not clear to me why we're talking about the Student Opportunity Act at this time or how we're going to spend the $1.8 million when, right. when it's, uh, it's very likely that, that those dollars will not be available. I, you know, it is surprising that we're, and maybe, maybe this is happening offline, um, but that um, the district should be, I would think, going through a process like you know, many are around the country of thinking through where their budgets could definitely see impacts and what is critical path versus, you know, what are things that are may need to be pushed off um, simply because the budgets aren't, may not be what the budgets were expected to be before this crisis hit. Yes. And, and so a, a school committee member also was pushing the superintendent on this topic and said, you know, what, you know, are, will you be making adjustments? The superintendent responded that there will probably be more federal stimulus dollars coming to the district at some point. So no, um, but these are, these things are so unknown, and we really have to begin now um, preparing for, you know, what are the contingency plans? What what do we do here as a district? One again, to your point, Jill, how do we how do we make sure we're putting a lot of additional resources into addressing the learning loss and and, and achievement gap that has been created out of this crisis? or I'm sorry, has been perpetuated out of this crisis. Mm. Um, but also, if, if we're coming back to school with, with a, a significantly less, less budget this year or, and or next year, what are we going to do about that? Um, right. We have to have some contingency plans in place. And, right. it, and, and it's really, this is the time to begin to discuss those. Yeah, I agree. So now one of the school committee members, Ms. Robinson, um, 
spent a little bit of time on a particular point that was being made while uh, the superintendent was talking about the Student Opportunity Act. And that was her point about um, the fact that BPS must focus on engaging all families. I, I thought her comment was very poignant. She had been reaching out to families and she was um, mentioning to the superintendent how critical she thought that the that BPS maintain um, a, a very strong and present conversation with families. Um, I, I'm sure you have a point of view on this as well. And I know that Ms. Robinson's um, comment struck you also. Right. So Ms. Robinson reached out to um, to a number of families um, and she, she sort of carved out a few hours. And said, I'm going to call a lot of some number of families and and see how they're doing and what they need. And, and you know, what she learned from that was that that many families are in need and many families need different things. And um, and and a number of families, you know, are harder to access because they speak another language or they don't have technology to access um, the surveys or, or other tools that are that are that the district has put out. Um, so, you know, Ms. Robinson was really urging the district to continue to think creatively and and with all full force uh, engage our families in our district. Our, um, be, because um, you know the district put out a survey. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, about no, a week ago. Um, I, again, it was an online survey. Um, so mm -hmm. if you don't have access to a computer or you're not able to log into the website, you're not able to complete the survey. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, we, we just need to, we need to have transparency here. We need to know how many families have responded to the survey. How many families are we not hearing from? How many families should we figure out? We, we have to go find out what they need because the reality is, like we know with school food, we're, the district is serving, you know, maybe 15,000 meals collectively with the YMCA every day. Um, but typically we serve, you know, at least three to four times that amount of meals. Um, so right. this is really concerning. Like, are people going hungry and we're not hearing from them or, or we're not accessing them? Um, so I just think it, it is time. We're a month into this crisis. We really have to have uh, much more sophisticated tools in, in, in place to check in with families around the district to find out what they need um, and to respond to those needs. And it has to be much more sophisticated than, than a, uh, a simple um, survey. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. Now, talking about other measurements as well, um, as the superintendent was presenting, Michael O'Neill had a question about priorities in the strategic plan and what is being measured. And I, I thought his point was very good. Right. So, so Mr. O'Neill asked a question about, um, so there is a, under commitment one, there's a, a priority. It's one of the first priorities, which is increasing um, teacher diversity. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and what he noted was in the measures, there is not a measure for that commitment or those priorities that measures teacher diversity. There's not a baseline about our current teacher diversity. There's not a goal for year one that we want to expand. Um, we want to increase teacher diversity by X number. There's not a, uh, a goal for year three or year five of the strategic plan. Um, so it is concerning. What we measure is what we do. Um, and if we don't measure it, it's likely we won't do it. And we certainly can't hold anybody accountable for it if we, have, if we don't have a measure for it. Um, so, so that was one major concern. And this has been a concern from the first time we've seen the strategic plan. Um, is that the measures are not, there's no numbers in the measures. Yeah, um, there's no baselines this, either. There's no baselines and then there's no goals. No goals. 
yeah. zero goals. Um, and then, you know, it was interesting. Um, John Mudd, uh, a longtime um, advocate for education, uh, made the very last comment of the meeting uh, four and a half hours in. And, and he said, well, the strategic plan it looks good. There's a lot of stuff in there and there's a lot of stuff in the operating plan. Um, he said, well, I'm hopeful that achievement gaps are implicit in this work because they're certainly not explicit. And there's not a goal in the strategic plan that deals with achievement gaps. There's no baseline for achievement gaps in the strategic plan. There's no one-year goal, three-year goal, or five-year goal for achievement gaps and closing achievement gaps. Right. Um, there is simply a, the goal is looking at the mean growth of all students. Um, Jill, we have to be much more sophisticated in how we're looking at closing opportunity and achievement gaps for our students. The district has done a significant amount of work in the, on this topic in the past. There's been task force um, that have been put together to deal with this issue. There's, we've, we've put in protocols, we've, we've, we've put in really good measures, um, and it seems like they're completely um, absent uh, yeah. from the strategic plan. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, and I, it does make me wonder, I mean, so Mr. Mudd made that comment in public comment as you said, right at the end of the meeting, but it was it was such a poignant comment. I, w I wish that we could play it. Um, and you have to wonder what happens to comments like that um, th that happen it, during school committee because I, I feel like you know he was also asking a question that was worthy of being answered. It, it, it this can't be ignored. It, not, not it shouldn't have been ignored before this crisis. And this crisis points out the enormous inequities that we have in our system. Um, we have to have measures and focus on closing opportunity and achievement gaps across our schools. Um, we can't simply move forward with measures that are the average of every student. Yeah. And there it led to a conversation amongst the school committee members and the superintendent about uh, jurisdiction and what is school committee responsible for. Um, and the superintendent said very clearly that um, school committee is responsible for strategic measures and um, that she will present to them the operating plan and operating measures, but that um, she, you know, that really is her jurisdiction, uh, which is, is tends, you know, that tends to be the case, right? That boards are really supposed to focus on the strategic. Um, but then I think it's important for, for the, the um, school committee members to, to have very finite goals and objectives. Um, so that the, the superintendent knows where she where they want her to go. So I would urge I would urge the committee to if if these measures are not clear, there is no baseline, um, or they're not measuring the things that need to be measured. That the committee creates their own measures um, and provides those to the superintendent and says, "Here's what we'll hold you and your team accountable for." Um, so so the superintendent made it very clear the strategic plan is in the purview of the school committee. The operating plan uh, and how they execute it is not. However, um, what is very clear is the school committee supervises, uh, evaluates, hires and fires a superintendent. Um, and so the, the school committee has to have a discussion here about what are the goals that they want to hold the superintendent accountable for, um, and they need to state those goals clearly. And, and they really need to prioritize at this point. I mean, we're in a weird and crazy new normal that probably hasn't even been fully defined yet. And so um, onus is on the school committee to think about what are their expectations for the rest of the 2019-2020 school year, and then what do they want to 
be sure happens for each student in Boston Public Schools going into the next school year? This is all about leadership. Um, this is this is leadership of our uh, of those who are are leading us through this crisis, and it's the leadership of those who we trust the most. Um, and it, all of us, uh, you know, families in Boston Public Schools are looking to the superintendent and the school committee to guide us and provide leadership through this crisis, and to tell us and help us think about how to meet the learning needs of and social emotional needs of all of our students. Um, so I'm hopeful that our school committee and our superintendent will provide that leadership. So lastly, there, and man, this was, there was such a heavy load of content um, last night, because lastly, there was a deep and it ended up unfinished discussion about the proposed student privacy policy. And Ross, you mentioned that there were many public comments at the beginning of the meeting um, focused, focused on the proposed and new privacy policy. Um, Ms. Rivera weighed in heavily here. Can you talk to us about um, the comments and um, and where school committee kind of left this? Sure. So this so this is a very nuanced conversation here about um, how the draft policy the district drafted a policy around um, how to share student information after incidents occur, um, and they they were highlighting that there are different types of incidents. Um, and that information could be shared if there was a, a, a major safety and concern for students, I'm sorry, a concern about students' wellness and safety, um, but then they would not be shared if, if, if it didn't fall into that bucket or another, uh, so other buckets under state law or federal law. Um, so there, there's a very nuanced conversation. I wish the, we could play audio from it so that, so that we could hear the different perspectives on this issue. Um, but what was very clear was the majority, far majority of school committee members, I remember said the same thing, that they were very uncomfortable with a policy that could, um, could essentially release who, would, um, who could take action against those students. And certainly the policy wasn't foolproof. It, it, it relied on a lot of adult judgment and, and um, could have unintended consequences. So um, there, was, uh, there was a lot of uh, concern raised um, that, that really dittoed and uh, the concerns raised during the public comment. Um, and I think the school committee is going to go back um, and take another look at this policy. Yep, that, that, that. I think it. I think it sounded like it's going to be pushed, and that it will probably come back around in another um, couple of months as as an, a topic again on the school committee agenda. And now, Jill, I'd just like to note note here. Um, this, this is a great leadership move uh, among school committee members. Um, they they asked uh, amazing questions. They pushed really hard. Yeah. They didn't take. Uh, th this wasn't. Um, you know, just ask a question and, and be told by the district everything's going to be okay, and and they were going to you know just trust it. They they pushed hard on this, and uh, and were you know sort of collectively united in making sure that we were not jeopardizing any of our students. Um, and well, so it, yeah, it was so obvious that so many of them who were speaking up were really content matter experts on the subject, and so um, they were able to weigh in with real life examples and. Um, it for, both in their own experiences and experiences with their communities, that was was really important to kind of have at the forefront of the conversation. That's right. It, it was a yeah, it was a great conversation. It really was. Um, and that's what happened last night at school committee.
Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow, fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day.